this sermon could be titled like four different titles. One of them is Open Our Eyes. One of them is Hand It Over. One would be Round Trip Resurrection. So I'm just going to go with Open Our Eyes because that's what I posted on Facebook. So you're okay with that if I kind of diverge away from that a little bit, right? One thing you guys know about me, I really do like to follow the church calendar. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was raised in a congregational church, and so I'm all about, you know, the different important holidays of the church calendar. We just came off of a really high point, which is Easter, right? What's the next big holiday or feast, if you're in the Eastern Orthodox Church, in our, on our church calendar? Bob, don't say anything. What's our next big one? Jim, do you know? Tell me what it is. Anybody else? What is it? I'll buy your meal tonight if you can tell me what it is. No, no that's that's Jewish calendar. It's not Memorial Day. That's that's an American holiday. On the church calendar, what's the next big feast coming up? It's going to come up in, I'm going to give you a lot of hints, 50 days. Nope. What is it? Pentecost. You knew, didn't you, Bob? Hand clap for Steve. Steve, I'll buy your dinner tonight. By the way, we are going out after um, whoever wants to because Kelly, what you say? Did you look it up? No, he didn't look it up, did he? No, he knew it. Um, it does mean 50. Good job. And or seven weeks. Seven weeks. So Pentecost is seven weeks from Easter. Usually we celebrate it on a Sunday, usually, right? It's... Um, it's 50 days. And you're right. It, that's what 50 means. So good for you. But getting back to that, it's Kelly's birthday. We're going to say today, even though it was yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. Are you, are you 39 again? Yeah, her birthday month. Are you 39 again? Oh, good girl. I'm 39 again. And Jim's was close. So maybe we can celebrate both of them. So we're going to go out to eat afterwards. We're going to go out to eat afterwards and have a birthday meal for Kelly. Whoever wants to come can come. We haven't decided where we're going to go. Maybe not Stumpy's because we've gone there already. Maybe someplace else. Is that okay? I know. Everybody should be open. Hopefully. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we're going to do tonight afterwards. Anyway, so I wanted to preach. So, you know, like I said, the next big holiday is Pentecost. So I'm like, in the church calendar, what's between Easter and Pentecost that I should preach about? You know, keeping with the theme of following the church calendar, right? So one of um, one of a well-known sermon is on the road to Emmaus, right? Because that happened after, basically after Jesus was resurrected and before Pentecost. So today we're going to talk about Emmaus, right? Um, you guys know the story of Emmaus? Pretty much everybody does, right? I'm going to still read it to you. You're okay with that. This is the NIV. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Where have you been? Jesus is like, what things? What are you talking about? <laughs> what things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, 
powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they ha- that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was, eight, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. When the two told what happened on the way, then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. That's Luke 24, 13-35, NIV. So in a nutshell, this can be the story of two spiritual travelers. We only know one person's name is Cleopas. He, they... Um, they're traveling from Jerusalem on the morning, on Sunday morning. They're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is seven miles. Has anyone ever walked seven miles? It's not a short distance. Am I right? It's not long, but it's not short. It's probably two to two and a half hours, would you not say, of walking, right? Or more. And so Jesus decides to catch up with them, to walk with them, even though... They're going in the wrong direction. They're going to Emmaus. How many of us, when life has beat us down or we don't know what's going on, we go back to something that's familiar? We go back to our roots or our family or what feels safe or what feels comforting, even though it's maybe not where we're supposed to be. Sometimes when bad things or confusing things happen to us or we've been deeply wounded, our first thought is, where can I go get comfort? How can I feel better about this this horrible pain? Would you say? Mac and cheese. So Cleopas and his companion are like that. They've seen Jesus die on the cross. They've seen him buried. And now some women are saying he's been risen but who are the women to say anything right I mean they come back and they're like he's not there we've talked to an angel like "Eh, I don't know if I can believe that right they're like I don't know so for some reason they decide to drive travel back to Emmaus it's interesting to me that when Jesus ate the meal with them can you imagine this with me he's talked to him all day they finally get to Emmaus you know they started out maybe the afternoon it says they got there in the evening They're starting to break bread. 
that you know, Jesus is trying to walk away, and they're like, no, stay with us, have a dinner with, you know, whatever. And they get all the food out, and it's at the moment that he blesses the bread and he breaks it. Maybe they see his hands. Maybe they see the, the nails in his hand. But it's that moment of breaking bread that all of a sudden their eyes are open and they recognize him. Right. And that is supposed to make us think about the Last Supper. Right. It's supposed to make us think, oh, my gosh, when we recognize Jesus broken body for us, when that moment of recognition comes to us, we recognize who Jesus really is. Up until then, maybe our eyes have been closed or we've been focused on what's going on with us. Right. Instead of looking for an answer someplace, we're so close in our own pain that we don't recognize Jesus right in our midst. Am I right? But it's not until we actually see Jesus for who he is and we see Jesus as a broken lamb that all of a sudden we're like, oh, my gosh, I've been walking with Jesus the whole time and I didn't know it. He's been here the whole time with me and I didn't know it. And yet there was something in my heart that burned because I knew something was going on. Now, here's what gets me, you guys. It's evening. They've walked seven miles. What happens to them? As soon as they hear, they recognize Jesus, first of all, he disappears like that. Again, you know, there's that disappearing man again, you know, walking through walls, whatever. Immediately, they go back to Jerusalem, seven more, seven more miles. That's a 14-day journey in one day, 14 miles in one day. That's a long way, don't you think? Don't you think maybe they could have just stayed there the night and rested and then walked seven more miles the next day? Why did they not do that? They were too excited. What happens when you meet Jesus for yourself? You run back to Jerusalem. And you run back to the people, your people, that God has put in place for you. And you say, oh, my gosh, I have to share with you what happened to me today. Right? Sometimes we call those the new Christians, and they really um, irritate us because they're so on fire for the Lord they won't shut up. Do you remember those people? Do you remember ever being that way? Where... They're so overwhelmed by where they were and where they are now that they, they are crazy on fire and they offend everybody, even Christians. Am I right? Do you remember those people? So when they were, this is what the Bible, this is what the scriptures say. While Cleopas and his friend run back to the other disciples, right? This is what happens going further along in Luke. While they were still talking about this, because they go, oh, my gosh, we've seen Jesus. I can't believe it, but maybe you were right. We have seen Jesus. I, we're so overwhelmed. While, we were still, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, what's the first thing he says? Peace. They were startled. I talked about this last time. And frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Again, I suppose to prove he was not a ghost, because maybe ghosts, it would go right through them or something, right? He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. 
Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in this city until you have been clothed with power on high. That's the story. That's Luke. That's how Luke records this. Different gospels record it differently, but this is in Luke. I think it's interesting that Jesus, you know, Jesus, who's Jesus, right? Sovereign God, he meets us in the most mundane of places. He meets us walking along the road back to a place we shouldn't be going, turning our back on where we're supposed to be, going back to the familiar, going back to where we're comforted, maybe going back like Peter did, going back, I guess I'll go back to fishing because I don't know what to do, right? Jesus meets us there. He meets us in the most mundane things, eating, drinking, walking, working. It's not always a huge spectacle of supernatural events. Sometimes it's the day-to-day life that Jesus is meeting us in. You know, um, I, I think I've told you this. Chris has a stepdaughter who lives in Australia, um, and she and her husband, Adam, they live in a town called um, Carrera. Do you know where that is on the Gold Coast? No. But it's it's on the Gold Coast, which I don't really know where I don't know Australia very well. Their names, no, their church is called Liberty, and um, they're church planters. Her, her husband has planted a church there, um, and we want to go see them sometime because I've never been to Australia. The only thing that I really don't like about going to Australia is that it's 18 hours from Denver to Australia. Um, I don't know about you, but 18 hours is not doable for me. Like I would need to be drugged up really <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and I don't want to be fed the whole time either. I mean, you're locked in a little tin can. And usually you have to go from Denver to, like, Hawaii or Denver to California and then go over. But still, it's an 18-hour flight. And what's funny is when you fly to Australia, you cross over what's called the International Dateline, which this is how the Google defines it. An imaginary line, imaginary line, this is funny, on Earth's surface defining the boundary between one day and the next. What cracks me up is that it's imaginary. Like, it's not doesn't mean it's not real, and yet we still live by this imaginary line. And here's a fun fact as, as I was researching this. Did you know that in our world, because of these different time zones, three different dates are used during the same time? So there's three. it could be May 1st, 2nd, or 3rd on the same day, depending on where you are in the world. That's weird. That blows my mind. That's the whole um, space-time continuum thing in Star Trek that I don't really understand, right? Like, what space-time continuum are we in? Are we in the first or second or third? I don't know. So when we call or talk to his um, stepdaughter, Chrissy, in Australia, it's like we're talking to somebody in the future because they're actually 14 days ahead of us, right? I mean, in hours, I mean, they're 14 hours ahead of us, which is weird to think that I can talk to her, but there's four, but you're in the future. Someone wrap your mind around that, right? Um, wouldn't it be awesome? I don't know about you guys. Do, do any of you guys invest in cryptocurrency? You guys do. I got you into it. Well, I'm into I'm into some cryptocurrency right now, and it's um it's on fire, right? It's up and it's down. It's up and it's down. I'll wake up one morning and go, look how much money I have, and then by the end of the night, I'm like, oh, I lost all that money. You know, it's just you can't look at it because it, it will like roil your stomach up like crazy. But wouldn't it be cool if I could call Chrissy and find out what the price of Dogecoin was going to be 14 hours ahead so I know how to invest? 
Wouldn't that be really cool? Wouldn't we all like to know that? Oh, would I go to jail? The reality is we know somebody who can speak to us from our future because God was and is and is to come. And God is outside of time, right? He knows what's going on with us in our future, even though we don't know what's going to happen. I think that's really cool. And you know what? God's not concerned. God already knows what's going to happen. He's not concerned about my economy, the economy, or my health. And you know what he's not concerned about? The political system in our country. He's not concerned about vaccines. He's not concerned. He's already knows. He's already written the end of the story. He knows how it turns out. So he's not anxious about the things I'm anxious about today, which is really good because I'm anxious about things. I woke up this morning. I was like, why did I wake up like this? I, w- I had a terrible nightmare. I had this weird nightmare this morning about like living in George Orwell 1984, some kind of weird political um, oppression, and everyone was doing things that I didn't believe in, and I didn't know how to handle it and everything like that. And I woke up, and I had to speak to myself this morning and say, Paul, that's not real. You need to go to the Lord with this. Why are you dreaming? Why are you so stressed out that you're dreaming about this stuff? That's not peace. So if we really believe in the resurrection, we would know that God has already dealt with everything. And as a, as a God who exists in the future, he is not anxious about what we're anxious about right now. He's already seen the end. It's interesting, you know, after um, when the two disciples, Cleopas and in his friend, whatever his friend's name is, they're walking to Emmaus. It's interesting because, you know, Jesus talked a lot about his death and resurrection in three days to his disciples. He tried to prepare them. He, he tried to, ha- to make them understand. He said to them, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to be raised. This temple is going to be built down or broken down. On the third day it's going to be raised again. He tried to tell them over and over this is what's going to happen. And then when it does, wait for me here at such and such a place, None of them believed it. None of them believed it, especially these people going back to Emmaus. And it was on the third day. You think, wouldn't you think, if you had walked with, listen, I'm not criticizing them because I've been there. But I'm just asking this question. If you had walked, let's just say they had been with Jesus for all the three years he, he did ministry. If you'd walked with Jesus for three years and he was continually saying, I'm going to die and on the third day be raised again. I'm going to die and on the third day be raised again. Don't you think you'd wait the third day out? Don't you think maybe you'd wait the whole day on Sunday to see if what he said actually happened? But they did not do that, right? They left Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, walked seven miles back to Emmaus. And don't we all do that sometimes? Don't we? I mean, who here has had some tragic heartbreak in their life? tragic you don't know where Jesus is when you're when you're walking on your road to Emmaus you're just trying to get somewhere you're just trying to get your heart healed up your heart is broken you're you feel despair you had this hope you had this dream of a future you thought it was going to be such and such a way and it has been dashed on the rocks and you don't know what to do. And all you can do is keep on keeping on. 
And for some people, that means going back to what is familiar to them. First, that's kind of what some addictions are, right? Some addictions are, some addictions are people's desire in and of their own ability to medicate their pain. And all they know what to do is go back to what maybe worked before. Or maybe go back to something or somebody who can give them comfort. And these are the people, the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Here's what I love, you guys. That didn't stop Jesus from walking that road with them. It didn't stop him. I like to think as a human being that Jesus had compassion on them because they were his friends. Maybe they had walked with him for three years. Maybe he knew them really, really well. And maybe when he saw their brokenheartedness and their despair and their hopelessness, he's like, I'm not going to let them stay in that. And so he went to where they were, even though they weren't where they were supposed to be. He went to where they were, which is what Jesus does, right? And you'll, you'll love this, Bob. He doesn't say to them, guys, here I am. You know, he doesn't announce himself to, like, to them. What does he do? He says, what's going on? How are you doing? He asks them a question, just like any good therapist does, right? Because a therapist wants to hear it in your words. Because sometimes, <laughs> this is really good. Because sometimes before God can give us an answer, he needs to correct our question. Let that sink in. So sometimes God needs to hear what you're questioning so he can deal with your question before he can give you an answer. Ah, that's hard, right? So they say, he, verse 17 says, what were you discussing as you walked along? Like, you know, playing dumb. And the Bible says they are downcast. Their hopes have been dashed. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. And they, they start to tell Jesus, this is really good. Get a hold of this. They start to explain to Jesus about Jesus. I'm going to explain to you about this man that we thought was the Messiah. But he was crucified. And they says, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be crucified. The, wor- the Greek word is paradidomi. Paradidomi. It means handed over. It's used in these verses. Judas handed him over to the Sanhedrin, paradidomi. The Sanhedrin handed him over to Caiaphas, paradidomi. To Caiaphas. Caiaphas handed him over to Pilate. Pilate handed him over to Herod. Herod handed him back over to Pilate. Same word, every single verse. And they, had, they said to him, we had hoped, we had hoped that this was the man that we were looking for. And we do that too, right? Sometimes we say to Jesus, man, I hoped my life was going to be different. I hoped that what I thought and what I expected was going to come true, and it didn't. And where were you? Why were you not there? Why didn't you show up like I thought you were going to show up? But sometimes we quit too soon. Sometimes our eyes, we don't even ask the right questions, and we don't even see Jesus in front of us. 
But sometimes we do. And when we do, we just turn right around and walk seven more miles back to where we're supposed to be. I love it that he, that he walked seven miles with them, that he eats with people, that he, um, he doesn't come in with a lot of fanfare. He was born in Bethlehem. He was a carpenter. He uses metaphors like shepherd, all kinds of things that are like we can say blue collar in our world today, right? He doesn't promote himself. He is not a self-promoter. He is humble and lowly, and he meets us right where we are, even if we're on our own road to Emmaus. He's a little bit sneaky. We don't expect him to be born in Bethlehem, right? I mean, all the disciples and even the wise men thought, because they went to Herod first, right, thought he was going to be born in a palace because he was the Messiah. People didn't understand that when he was coming to bring the kingdom of God, it wasn't a political system. It was a spiritual system. And so people didn't have the right expectation of who Jesus really was. He died, this is so, this is good. He, he does what I call the suddenly, or the sudden reversal, or the hidden reversal even, the reverse the curse. He died on a cross to bring victory on earth over death, but he couldn't bring victory to earth looking like victory. He had to dress it up like death. It's not what we expect. We don't expect someone to die to bring us a victory, and yet that's what he did. Even the words, it is finished, are not what we expect. We think that means, oh, I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. But that, didn't, that, didn't mean, that was not what he was saying. He was saying death and hell are finished. Not I'm finished. I've actually finished the work that God told me to do. But we don't know that till we look back on it, right? When you're in the middle of it, you don't see what he's doing. You don't see that there's a resurrection day coming. You only see what's happening right now. You know, um, so he reveals himself, and then he's going to release himself. And he's going to ask us to release something, too. There's a difference between he reveals himself to the disciples, but then he's also going to release the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to release something to us. But at the same time, we have to reciprocate and release something back to Jesus. You guys um, ever, um, you guys all, who has Apple products here? Janet? iPhone. Who has iPhones? Pretty pot. Aaron? Oh, you did. Okay. Good. Remember when um, before iPhones, there were um, iPods? iPods? Yeah, exactly. Back in the day, probably 10 to 15 years ago, um, Apple, they would, they would talk about something. They would say, hey, look, we're going to, um, we're going to, we're going to start releasing. We're going to reveal to you our latest technology. And then three months later, we're going to release it. And they got everyone's juices all flowing. In, but you're so, so excited. Especially these days, you want the next model that's coming out. And they have a big convention, and they show all the, um, all the, thing, all the new things you can do on it. And then you can't buy it for three more months, right? It's very irritating. Well, back... Seriously, right? Because you're like, oh, my gosh, I really want that. But it's not available. And there, it's kind of a marketing ploy, right? Back in the day, like 12 years ago, maybe longer, 
right when iPods, I couldn't even remember that word. I had to look it up. Right when iPods first came out. Do you remember they were square? The first ones are, were big, weren't they? And the box was big. The box was big, and then they were, yeah. So what would happen was Apple would release these in the United States six months before they'd release them in Europe. So here's how I made money, you guys. It's called the gray market. Are you ready? Do you remember Steve Vorster? Who remembers Steve Vorster? Anybody? Okay. So he moved over to England, and we had a little gray market scheme going. So what I would do, I'm serious. I made good money doing this because, you know, I'm a businesswoman. I would buy hundreds, hundreds of Apple iPods. I mean, I had a lot of airline miles on my credit card. And I would, because Europe wanted these iPods because they wanted the technology and you could charge it with a USB. Because remember, there's different electricity from United States to, to like Europe. So you didn't need a regular charging cord. You could charge it through your computer. So Europe was, people in Europe were like, oh my gosh, I can buy an American version when it comes out in America. And I don't have to wait six months to get my European version. So what I would do is I would sell, I would buy the American version, 60, 70, 100 at a time, ship them over to Steve, and Steve would sell them on the UK eBay over there. And they went like hotcakes, hotcakes. That's the difference between a release, a reveal, and a release. It's revealed to you, but it's released later, right? And these people in Europe, they could not wait to get their iPods, man. And me and him, made, we cleaned up. We made some money. And that's kind of what happens with Jesus. He reveals himself, but it's later on that he releases the Holy Spirit, especially not just to the disciples, but to the church at large. When Peter preaches is when the Holy Spirit is released. The church is born, and the Holy Spirit is released completely, right? It's after Jesus is um, taken up into heaven, and the Holy Spirit, so to speak, is left here for us, right? That's the release, but there's something else that we have to do, our release, if we're going to um, walk our seven miles back to Jerusalem, right? We want to walk our seven miles back to Jerusalem. When Jesus, this is so good, you guys. When Jesus says, into your hands, I commit my spirit, you know what word he uses? paradidomai. He, he handed over his spirit for us. Now, we think that Judas handed it o him over and that the Sanhedrin handed him over and that the high priest handed him over and that Pilate handed him over and that Herod, we think that all those people handed Jesus over to the cross but I want you to know that Jesus is the one that handed himself over to God. Jesus is the one that had the final say on who handed him over. And Jesus did it willingly. He wasn't handed over by anybody else. He himself handed himself over for us. Isn't that cool? Isn't that fantastic? He didn't, no one forced him. He handed over freely. It was his decision. And here's the deal. I told you about sudden reversals, right? There's a lot of sudden reversals in the Bible. Like as a sudden reversal is when something looks like it's going one, one way and it's suddenly reversed. Esther is an example of a sudden reversal. Lazarus looks like he's dead. Oh, no, he's not dead, right? Abraham looks like he's not going to have kids. Oh, he does have kids. 
a sudden reversal. That could be a major theme in the Bible. If, we, if you're going to pick out major themes, one of them could be the sudden reversal. We think we're going one way, and there's a sudden reversal, and we're going a different way. We think we're, we think we're headed for misery, hopelessness, despair, um, mundane life, whatever that is. And suddenly, we meet Jesus, and he reveals himself, and our life goes a whole other direction. Am I right, Bob? I think about you all the time. All of us have experienced things in our life that have changed the trajectory of our life. And when you're in that, you're on your road to Emmaus, and you don't know that you'll ever be off of it. You don't know if Jesus is ever going to come to get you. You don't know where you're at. All your dreams have been dashed. Your future looks like it, it can't even go on. You don't even know how you're going to wake up the next day and walk. And I want you to know, this is what I'm trying to say. This is what we hand over back to God. Judas thought he was handing Jesus over. The Sanhedrin thought they were handing Jesus over. All these evil things happened, but Jesus is the one who handed himself over. And I want you to know that every single thing that happens in our life that we think the enemy has handed over to God, God will do a sudden reversal of that, just like he did with Jesus. Am I saying that God is the um, perpetrator of those things? I am absolutely not saying that. But I am saying that in God's sovereignty, every single thing that we think has been handed over by the enemy in our life, God can come and do a sudden reversal. God can do a sudden reversal that we don't see coming. And we have to hand to God every single one of our disappointments, every single one of our fears. My fear of this political system, I need to hand to the Lord. The Lord's not worried about that. He can do a sudden reversal just like that. He can reveal himself to people in this country like that. I don't need to give up because God's not given up. And God's got it well in hand. God's the one who's got everything in hand. And so I guess, you know, like I said, this is kind of a, um, and the full de definition of paradidomi is hand over at the appropriate time. That's the full definition. So I guess what I want to just end here, I want our eyes to be open with the fact that we can hand everything over to Jesus, and he can do a sudden reversal, and we need to wait for it. We need to wait for it, and our eyes need to be open for it. And we need to believe and recognize is that is who Jesus is. I was listening to that song, How He Loves Us. I was thinking how much that applies to what I was talking about. You know, here's Jesus going to these, I assume that are his friends, and he wants to relieve them of what they're going through. But he has to take them through, he has to take them through something in order to reveal himself. How many of you guys here have gone through something that you thought was going to kill you? Thought was going to kill you. But you have ble been blessed on the other side. Right? I don't think that I, even before today, I could say that, Bob. I don't even think before today I could say that what I went through is worth it but I'm telling you it's worth it because paradidomi, because of sudden reversal, 
because God has our future in his hands and we need to hand over our future to him. And we need to, we need to not give up before we turn around and go back to Jerusalem. And I think that's the message of the Emmaus Road is, is he sees us in our weakness. He knows we go back to what we're comforted with, but he's going to follow us. He's going to encounter us, and he's going to bring us back. Right? And we need to wait for that to happen, even when we don't see it happening. We need to have faith for it. We need to have faith for it. So there you go. That's my, that's my message for today. Let's pray, you guys, and then we'll go out to dinner. <sighs> and I'm buying Steve's dinner. I'm buying your dinner. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much, God. Thank you, Lord, that every painful, shameful, fearful thing that comes at us that we think has been handed over to us is in your hands all along and that you can do the sudden reversal, that you're the God of sudden reversals and you're not um, mad at us and you're not... Um, ashamed or disappointed that we are human beings and that you will meet us on our Emmaus road and you will reveal yourself to us and you will give us power from on high because that is what you have promised to us Lord help us to hold on to see you to open our eyes and to hand over everything we need to hand over Lord so that we can participate in what you've got coming in what you've got coming Lord We will wait. We say yes and amen. In Jesus' name, amen.